Welcome to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery, brought to you by spiritualteachers.org. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery, and welcome as well to a new decade. 2020 is here, and I have a big announcement to share. There's good and surprising news to report regarding the Tat Foundation's new home. As you might know, over two years ago, Tat purchased what we call the Thomas Green property in Roxboro, North Carolina. Now, building a retreat center from the ground up proved to be quite a challenge, but with some new determination to make this work, the project recently stirred life. What happened next was was unexpected to say the least. Through a lot of creative thinking, individual commitments from people like yourself, hustle and a bit of luck as well, in early December, TAC closed on a separate 15-acre property that has a large home that's suitable for meetings. The Thomas Green property that we previously purchased will be sold as soon as possible. Now, here's some details on this new property. It's in Hurdle Mills, North Carolina, which, yeah, I've never heard of that before, but it turns out it's only 35 minutes from Chapel Hill. It's situated on a 15-acre site, so one parcel is 10 acres, and then there's a separate 5-acre parcel where another building could be built in the future. It has a 5-bedroom, 5-bath home, Then there's a third floor, which we plan on converting into sleeping areas. And then there's a large garage, which we're going to convert into the main meeting space. Now, another piece of this that's really exciting is that Bob Ferguson has agreed to be our teacher in residence. And we also have another person who's agreed to serve as caretaker for the property. Now, this has been a years-long effort. This really started back in 2013 with just some discussions about could we do this? Could we pull this off? Tat hadn't been meeting at a regular location for some years since losing its lease on Richard Rose's original property. And this whole process it recalled to mind a quote which used to hang in the, in the family room of Richard Rose's home. And it's one that really stuck with me, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's about commitment. And it says, Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. The moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance which no man could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now.
And I think that this whole process, this project of TAT looking for and finding a new home is really an illustration of commitment. So TAT will be holding its April 2020 meeting at this new property. But in order to do that, it's going to require a collective effort once again, because there's some immediate needs. For one, well, there's no tables and chairs. It's just a big empty house. So we're going to need some donations, some help from people like yourself, just to get the space set up in order to have meetings. There's also a need for a parking area on the property. So there's some trees that will need to be cleared and some gravel poured in order to create a parking lot. And then there are some upgrades needed for the water system. Like I said, it's a five bathroom home. But when we have meetings there, we have up to 70 people who come to these meetings. And so we need a little more water pressure. And there's some upgrades that will be needed to the system for that. So I'm asking you to help out with this project. I know many of you have done that before and have contributed anywhere from $5, $10, $100, $200, just whatever you felt inspired to do. And I'm asking again for help with this project. Um, I'm just really excited about it and really excited plan to be at the April 2020 meeting and I can't wait to see the space. So to help out, please go to tatfoundation.org and if you go to the menu at the top of the page, you'll see an about and, and you hit the drop down and there's a homing ground page. So that's one way to navigate to that, to make a donation. There's a PayPal button there. Uh, you can also go directly to tatfoundation.org slash tat hyphen home. And that will also get you to that donation page. So please help out in whatever way that you feel inspired to do. You could even mail a check if you want to do this the old-fashioned way. I'll make that out to Tat Foundation and mail to Tat Foundation, P.O. Box 873. Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, 17055. That's P.O. Box 873, Mechanicsburg, PA, 17055. I appreciate any help that you can give. I've already made a donation myself, and with just a little bit from a lot of people, a lot can be accomplished. So please keep that in mind. Now for this month's episode of the podcast, it's about Joseph Sedoni, who early on in my spiritual path was very influential in terms of helping me understand what intuition was and ways to explore the intuition. He was really inspiring to me, and his book, Gates of the Mind, gave me a, a palpable feeling for something which I previously had no experience with. Now, I couldn't have Joseph Sedoni on the show because he died in the early 60s, but we do have Dr. Richard Howen as the guest. And he is a clinical developmental psychologist who specializes in autism. 
who also happens to have a fascination with Joseph Sidoni and has done quite a bit of research into him and his life. So please welcome Dr. Howland and the subject of Joseph Sidoni. Well, uh, thank you, Richard. I appreciate being here with you today, and uh, I'm happy that you're willing to talk about Joseph Sidoni with me. Oh, my pleasure. Sure. Well, just to get us started, uh, I, I'm i fairly familiar with Joseph Sidoni. I was fascinated by him, uh, but probably a lot of the people who are listening to this won't even know the name or recognize the name. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about Sidoni and perhaps how you got interested in him? Yes, certainly. Um, well, he was born in Germany in 1887, just to give that piece to the story. Um, emigrated to the United States with his family around 1897. So he's about the age of 10 when he emigrated to Kalamazoo, Michigan and then moved on to Chicago for a while with his family and eventually ended up in uh, White Lake, which is where I am now, about a mile from his um, Valley of the Pines, which is his self-named house that he started so long ago. And uh, it's still standing today over there. And uh, he was... Um, so his, why he's a man of interest is that he was really a remarkable individual. He was uh, a philosopher, author, he was an inventor, counselor, community leader here, which is, I think, quite interesting, and not least, of course, an intuitive. So um, this, when, when I first came to this area, White Lake, Michigan, um, because my wife and I have a place here, Someone said there was this local, a local gent actually came up to me and said there's this local legend, a psychologist apparently, who lived across the lake. So I began researching into Sidoni and quickly discovered what a, what a brilliant and outstanding person he was. And then I quickly, as one does, uh, stumbled into the fact that he had extrasensory abilities. And uh, reading his autobiographical notes, I was really struck by one account from his early childhood of a, a premonition he had in Germany. And that really sort of, in a sense, uh, got me started with Sidoni. I found him absolutely fascinating from that point onwards. Uh, yes. Are, are you referring to the book Gates of the Mind? Yes. And the particular, the particular premonition he had of his brother, Herman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first book that I read by Sidoni. And uh, the same thing, I was just captivated by, by his mix of the personal stories and his clues. At least I see them as clues for how could someone else uh, develop or reveal the abilities like Sidoni has. Yeah, it, he, 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 I was in very, in a similar way, I was captivated by it. And that story about the brother, what came out there was just his compassion and, and how, you know, you, you immediately felt a connection with the man writing this and, and the pain he suffered 
in losing his brother, but also the great, somehow the beauty of that family came through uh, in that little account there. And I just was, as I say, I just felt such a, a, a sort of kindred connection to the man. And th this sparked my interest particularly. I was not expecting to actually have any, you know, uh, real long-standing interest in this individual. It was purely curiosity at first. But when I found out about his premonitions, I was, uh, it sparked my interest because a year earlier, I had encountered a client who experienced similar abilities. And I was confronted with it, this experience with this client that could not be explained in any way in the textbooks of my neuropsychology. Uh, so, this, so I guess that experience never really left me. And when I started reading Sidoni, I it was it was sort of making more sense to me. So that's really what started the whole thing going for me. Mm -hmm. And you uh, you have a PhD, yes. And uh, and what's your area of specialty? Uh, I am a clinical developmental psychologist, um, which is basically. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist and I work in the area of autism um, and uh, I work with autis autistic uh, clients from womb to tomb, uh, so all through the cycle of life and uh, it's been a very interesting journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I can imagine any number of other clinical psychologists who might have have been presented with a patient such as you described and who would find a some explanation for it or dismiss it or discount it. it why, why didn't you? Um, I, I've always had, you know, when I, someone is sitting opposite me or in any situation and they relate something and they, and something happens, or there's a, a story, or they... Uh, I am always captivated in some degree. I believe people. Uh, I just have um, an inherent faith in people. And, of course, with discernment, uh, you can tell when someone is telling you a truth. Um, and this was clear in my journey through life, that I met people who had such paranormal experiences. And... Um, this particular uh, man, I actually experienced his paranormal ability. So <laughs> mm. it's, you know, and I think it, to, to go back to your sort of remark there that most, you know, in, in a causal mechanistic world, um, you just move on. You don't, um, you say that's weird and you, <laughs> you leave the... Um, the situation and and never think about it again but you know it, i can't i can't do that it's just, it was just too hard and this chap uh, really put it right in my face because as i said i actually firsthand experienced his ability and um that that you know you have to be pretty myopic to sort of it's not easy to move on when you have something like that happen to you uh, and and prior to that had you had any other experiences in that vein no, um, I, you know, growing up in London, I, uh, there's more talk of paranormal experience in England than I've noticed in the United States, in just in general parlance. Um, 
there's you hear about mediums you hear i mean i grew up hearing about these people and it just was somehow i felt more acceptable um and so hence i as uh, I, it was part of my um my development in a way and then i uh was a studied william blake who was uh, from london and how you know <laughs> if you study william blake who i think is a remarkable you know visionary and it, it was it, these kinds of people were around me as a student and uh you know so it was it was i was certainly open to things such as this mm -hmm. um and I, I know that we we have a limit on our time today so i'm just going to jump right in to to the the question <laughs> in my heart which is um have you in some way uh practiced or deciphered those clues that Joseph Sedoni left in his book for improving one's intuition uh, and can you share anything along those lines um, well reading Sedoni and and sort of in a way when you read Sedoni it's like experiencing Sedoni um, I I think that um, what I have done is it's it, I really directly became more conscious of the possibilities when you're sitting across from someone, whether it's in a, a casual situation or in psychotherapy, that the, the, you know, it's the, the possibilities, you know, you know, I'm trained in a, as we all are in psychology these days in a very um, limited causal mechanistic course going back to newton really and it this really does leave a mark on you just like this culture does in this way um you you, you find yourself be your identity as a professional as a psychologist is very much linked with doing things the right way and uh, that's how you become accepted that's how you get your license um and reading sedoni i deliberately then sort of in a direction went in a direction where i opened up to other possibilities uh, that were non-verbal so for example i would sit with people and in you know days gone by as a younger psychologist i would um it was all about language and it was all about finding solutions and what I started doing more was realizing that there's so much going on without language and some of this can you could say is quite mystical how then change evolves as if and of course what this is if you wanted to reduce it to biology is my opinion the right hemisphere of the brain uh, if we leave the dominance of the left hemisphere which is actually driving us off a cliff right now in my opinion, if you leave that and open up to the nonverbal dimension, which took me a long while to do, uh, I found I'm much more effective. Um, it, my work has become much more meaningful. Uh, and so that was a direct um, result of, of, of experiencing Sedoni, uh, that I realized 
you know, as he would put it, I think, the other messages, other signals, um, and they they were formed in him, as he says, then, and he would make images, pictures. Well, this is all, these are all aspects of the right hemisphere. And so being so dominated by language and doing and the to-do list of life, as it were, I think we, you know, I'd, I'd put that away from, out of, out of sight for a while. And this, and so this is what I've been doing. I've been exploring all these different kinds of experiences and possibilities that are not within the context of typical uh, psychotherapy and certainly not contemporary psychotherapy, which is, you probably know, is about behavior and changing people's cognitions in a quite behavior, behavioristic way. Um, so that's one of the most important, I think, things that have affected me uh, in my work directly. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm a better psychologist for it, actually. And how have, how have you approached uh, moving away from, from the reliance on the verbal aspect? Uh, because I'm thinking of some people who, who will tell me that, you know, my mind is just a, uh, just a flurry of thought day and night, and it never stops. The dialogue never stops. Uh, have you had to, had to practice some, some techniques or methods or? Oh, yes. I, 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 I you know, the, the old, you know, the sort of, firstly, in, in, I actually work with clients um, of all ages on meditation and the idea of observing thoughts and the idea, the idea of a stream of thoughts that's going, as you say, 24-7, and shifting out of that and being able to just sit for periods with someone in that kind of um, space. Um, uh, you know, um, Eckhart Tolle, the teacher, uh, writes beautifully about how to, you know, the, the here and the now and how to do that and how to achieve that. So that's been one very important piece of it, that, that, that uh, you know, moving away from this constant, uh, you know, mind, uh, thought, obsession that we've, we've, that this world has become more and more, um, uh, you know, won't be the word, I don't know, you know, sort of swamped in really uh, with the social media. And it's, and it's very hard for people to do. And uh, with autism, it is in high-functioning autism, it's very similar too. They they are you know full of words and ideas. It's something that we all share. And stepping out of that, I I deliberately spend a be at least fifteen minutes in every session, in in a sense being non-verbal, and helping people to get that experience. Because once you get the experience of space then you get it, things change. And so this has been all this sort of opening that I've been doing uh, as a result, you know, of these last really 10 years of my life now. Mm -hmm. I was curious if, if you felt that people on the autistic spectrum, if they had uh, perhaps uh, more intuitive ability or if this was easier for them or uh, I think I heard you say they're just like anybody else in that respect 
Yeah, um, well, I get that. Ask that question a lot, actually, and, and it's a good question. And I, uh, but I don't think so. Um, I don't think there is any particular link with autism and paranormal experiences. And there's been this one individual I spoke of, and there was another person too. Um, and I saw them both, even though they were diagnosed with high functioning autism, I saw them both as um, just people who had this exceptional gift uh, as well and happened to have autistic features. One, uh, one piece of Sidoni's work that's always fascinated me is, is he, he goes to some length in the Gates of the Mind book to try to distinguish between a, a false feeling and a true feeling. Uh, do you do you have uh, thoughts or or perhaps clues that you could pass on to people about your experience with that? Oh gosh, I wish I I wish I could. Um, I, I I also of course was uh, I've read that and you know and he it, it's something I think a part of the intuitive mind um, that they are able to be able to do that. I I can't even imagine because I'm not particularly intuitive my wife is uh, but i'm not but i think it's again a non-verbal he talks about as you know sean this feelings he gets uh, he described it as and i i borrow a term actually from the psychologist eugene gendling and describe what he's saying as a felt sense because that eliminates the confusion inherent mm -hmm. in the word feeling because you know feelings can be so so it's a felt sense that seems to be what occurs to Sidoni quite spontaneously and then he then pictures as he puts it form from this raw felt sense and how he you know how he he distinguishes that from I think my understanding is that that felt sense is he knows at the moment it occurs, it's real. I believe it's, you know, that he's got something, something that's coming in, as it were, on the human radio, and he then goes with it. So I think these, I, my sense is that these people, like Sidoni, and certainly that was true of my patient, um, knew when it was real and, and, and went with it, and, and how someone like myself could do that i have no idea i mean we all get hunches we all get these you know moments of you know where we experience coincidences and things like that that can't be really coincidences and um you know so it's just it's it's you know the one thing you know as you know probably sidoni's one of his main hypotheses was that every individual has this ability okay and I fundamentally agree with that, actually. But I also, you know, realize that there are people who, like Sidoni, who is, in a sense, if this were music, we'd be talking about Mozart, that he has this such an intense gift in this particular area that, uh, you know, I, 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 I think most of us, I don't know, but I think many of us just couldn't get to a position where we would be able to sting, distinguish a, a right signal from a, a wrong signal or etc or a, an image or a, a, a gut feeling from something that's 
not authentic, etc. I just that's beyond me how he you know how he how one could do that. Since you work with uh, children, some uh, do you think or have you experienced that children are better able to uh, develop the this access to the right side of their brain? I think so. I think this is a real cultural number um, that's been done for 300 years. We've been emphasizing, you know, of course, in a sense unconsciously, the left hemisphere and at the expense of the right hemisphere. So what we've lost is integration. And I think um, I, I, I said once <laughs> a talk a few weeks ago that if you took a child um, and for about half an hour every day, instead of reading a story, which she's done, they do all the time, is give them work on intuitive, of a, it's kinds of work of an intuitive nature, um, that I'm sure these children, this would change their development, change their brain and create much more integration. Uh, you know, so, uh, but of course, this is not currency these days in the schools. And, uh, and that's, uh, I think, sad to see that more and more. We're becoming obsessed with language uh, to the point that language is becoming almost devoid of meaning in many ways, if you, can, if you know what I mean. It's, uh, it's everywhere. And there's, as soon as you lose that link to reality from language, the visceral reality, which is, of course, the right hemisphere, then it's just words and all of these, uh, uh, you know, crazy uh, uh, things you see on the internet and in social media. It's 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 lost its basis. So I think there's really a place for uh, bringing back intuitive kinds of exercises for young children. And I do experience generally children to be more intuitive, especially very young children. Uh, I, I notice that they pick up on so much now uh, then uh, as you watch them and see how they're responding. They kind of, a lot, of, and it depends, of course, some children are, are more that way, but I've noticed there's certain children who can really, <laughs> they've got your number, as they say. <laughs> it could be a, a three-year-old even, uh, that they look at you and you know they they basically figured you out, which uh, happens quite a bit, and it's wonderful to observe it. It's a bit daunting, but you know they have this sort of sense of, of this, of this, um, you know, deeper sense of of meaning and intuition. And of course, I'm a I'm also was trained in Jungian psychology, so I'm aware of the typologies and the intuitives and these variations. So certainly. There are many children who have this intuitive ability in this way. Uh, I, I wonder, you mentioned that you gave a talk uh, uh, last week, I believe you said, or a few weeks ago. Uh, and I noticed that one of your talks uh, that I saw online was called Exploring the Boundaries of Perception. I was curious in giving these talks, what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, you know, when I do do them, the, the, really the first thing is is quite, you know, I don't know, maybe very straightforward um, to keep this individual, to, to place him in some kind of 
um, the position where people recognize his talent. I mean, people here in White Lake um, know about him, but even in this area, most people do not know of the depth of what his talents were um, and how much he did and what a, what a brilliant mind he had. Um, it's so, you know, it's profound. And so one of the main straightforward goals is for me is to get, so to speak, uh, more awareness about Joseph Sidoni in, in the, you know, in the community around here, around this area on Lake Michigan, and then even further afield. So we, you know, so we've got a local historical society and now we're talking about having a special area of the library uh, and bringing all the artifacts in that uh, there's so much of his material around this area that people actually own. And unfortunately, um, what's happened, I, you know, I'm not sure how much you're aware of this, Sean, but he he wrote many different small things. Right. <laughs> small little books and papers and 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 that's created a bit of a problem because they're sort of strewn across uh <laughs> this this greater Muskegon area and so it's really hard to get a sense of what he did in his life because there's all these you know very diverse manuscripts around and some of them are in the libraries so to pull this all together and really get a a testimony to this very amazing individuals. So that's the first thing I think is, is that very straightforward? And we're going ahead with that here in the local historical society that um, hopefully we can pull that off. The other thing is I, I just like, uh, I, I, I find the story, I find this aspect of psychology fascinating. Um, this what you know this parapsychological reality, and what this then what Sidoni um, created in me sort of got moving in me was um, uh, a desire to find more out about the boundaries of perception. And of course, I was through this. I was turned on to Rupert Sheldrake and, and morphic resonance theory, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm always excited. I love teaching. I, I taught it. Um, a university for a long time and I love teaching so it's exciting to share to, with people these kinds of it's sort of in a way expanding the reality of what we do every day because I find when I say things about for example the fact that my family have had paranormal experiences uh, I noticed in the United States people look at me very strangely <laughs> And I, you know, it, it, it struck me. So part of this is also showing people that there are many more aspects to this journey than they probably have thought about. And, uh, and you know, the, there are people out there who have actually these abilities. It's, they're not just unique to Joseph Sidoni. Um, and so part of it is that, too, sharing with people this other world, really. Uh, that I mean, if you think about it, which I urge people to do in the talks, is when I share with them the premonition uh, that Sidoni had as a young boy about his brother, 
I said, stop and think about what this means. It means that he was aware of something that hadn't yet happened. So really that turns, um, you know, our Newtonian world on its head, our causal mechanistic society on its head and, and points to another dimension beyond time and space. And that's just absolutely fascinating for me. Um, and to think about that and what that might mean and to share that with people and get their feedback on it is, is really an absolute joy for me <laughs> because I think it's an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Can all of this, can the, can the parapsychological uh, be explained in a mechanistic way, which I almost feel like sometimes Sidoni spends a good bit of Gates of the Mind uh, saying things like, well, there is no such thing as the paranormal. This is just normal. Every, all of us can do this. Uh, <laughs> you know, give, given that, uh, do you personally feel like there's something more to us than uh, a body and a mind and chemicals and so forth? Is, is there something other than the physical? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. There's, there are, and all of what we've been talking about, for me personally, attests to this, that there's much more. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Uh, Sidoni was a devout Christian. Um, and so if you're a Christian, you live in a supernatural world. There are other dimensions here. And I have always been just convinced of that, you know, just accepted that reality. Uh, and so these aspects, for example, premonitions and such, of course, they go way back in human history, uh, that they point to that other dimension in a way. They point to, for me, the idea that, you know, if you will, little messages or pieces of, of, of higher wisdom of an, another reality, a separate reality, perhaps, um, and I don't think, um, you know, uh, that uh, typically, in, in certainly in psychology, we've we've come to terms with that. Uh, certainly not in psychology. There is a department at the University of Freiburg, Germany, of parapsychology, um, and so that was interesting. But I, I think uh, generally in psychology, we've become very increasingly reductionistic um, in how we view people and this kind of thing and hence um, we're losing a lot of potential here and a lot of aspects of our humanity because I think this is a very important aspect of who we are that their experiences and the more you talk about these experiences the more you become aware of them um, I you know as I said my wife is very intuitive and um, uh, and sometimes it's freaky and, you know, and, but when I talk with people and I do this at the, when I give a talk on this subject, I'll ask people to raise hands and, you know, usually about 75% of the hands go up who've had kind, these kinds of experiences. And I think there's still an aspect of embarrassment here about that. So I think as once we sort of communicate and get, with each other, you know, and be honest and open, then there's going to be more and more of a dialogue, like in terms of what, of course, you do, 
um, in your work that we, we, you know, it's not just a select few people who are into this. I think it needs to be brought into the broader world that there are other, if you will, another reality or other realities there that we can move into and, um, and, 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 and it just makes us much, it makes me much more respectful of the limitations of my abilities as a psychologist or whatever. It, it, it makes the mystery of a human being much more apparent because that's what it is. I mean, if I'm sitting opposite someone, it doesn't matter whether they have autism or something else. There's, it's an absolute mystery what's going on between us. Um, and I don't pretend for a second that I've got full clarity of any of this. And that's, as uh, going back to what I said earlier, that's what Sidoni has opened for me a bit more, where I'm able to tolerate that now more and, and leave the old professional role, so to speak, um, and, and actually come into a session and leave a session feeling much more um, connected to the world which I never did in, in previous years. And, and uh, at the same time, uh, it sounds like you would say that your ability in your profession has improved or changed or a, there's a new dimension in terms of your ability to mm -hmm. help people because of this. Absolutely. I feel, as I said, I've, been, I've become a better psychologist, a true psychologist, a true, if you will, counsellor. I've, 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 you know, been able to cast away all the kinds of, you know, shackles, as Blake would say, the mind-forged manacles uh, of, um, of, of the role. And um, I'm, I, I would think, I'm, I mean, I... You know, I'm also very at home in the left hemisphere, <laughs> so I I realise, you know, I I'm very uh, clear about planning and the need for this, and and certainly working with different kinds of problems and issues of daily living, um, there needs to be some good left hemispheric <laughs> uh, techniques used to get people to manage situations more. Absolutely. But there's this other area of, of, of course, the problem is, how do you get that across to someone? Um, you know, you, some, it's rare that you get someone coming in to see a psychologist who you just say, well, this is what you need to do, and they go out mm -hmm. and do it. No, there's usually a lot of complex reasons going on or that they can't do it. And this is where true true counseling comes in true psychology comes in because you, you you that's where you go into the real relational aspect some of which is nonverbal and you give you provide more time more space and th things in a sense become more spacious if you will which doesn't fit managed <laughs> care very right. well um <laughs> You know, six sessions and you're done, you know. And uh, so, but that's, but even if I have fewer clients for that reasons, because the insurances won't pay anything like that, um, I, the one, you know, the ones I see, I feel, you know, this is what we need to do. We need to spend more time. We need to s take more space and, and move in so that then actually you achieve the goals that were there originally. But it has to come, in my opinion, through 
this openness and spaciousness of of a of a, of a relationship. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you're a Christian. Has um, has your experience with Sidoni's work and and your own unfolding of your intuition? Have you found that that has given you any insight into? I don't know how you want to phrase it into uh, your faith or into the presence of grace in your life or an act, any actual visceral feeling of what is God. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I think one thing I have always felt about Sidoni, and I'm sensing, Sean, that you felt this when you read him, that he's an extremely compassionate individual. I mean, a very, you know, uh, you know, person who really cares i just always have felt that and that in me is has always my i never felt really um you know i've struggled with my own issues over the years from early childhood actually uh severe depression all through my life and i for that reason i never felt what perhaps what other people seem to feel going to mass you know it did because i was I was really, you know, uh, wounded. And so I didn't have this kind of open, natural relationship to faith. But the one thing that kept me was was that realizing that I see God in people. And I'm always drawn to people and seeing that reflection in people and, and the goodness. And that has always been my, you know, my... Um, foundation in my faith really uh and and i think that's certainly obviously reinforced by you know christ's teachings but and in sidoni i felt that was very much a part of him and some of the stories you pick up i mean people come to me sometimes in, in the area and in fact at the last talk um i was packing up and of course people come and talk and this quite you know, very older gentleman came up to me. Um, he had a walker, and he's and and he was. He said, um, you know, you could see he was he was struggling in some way. I mean, I didn't know what was going on. Whether he had Parkinson's, I didn't realize it. But I I just you know waited and said, oh, yeah. He said, and he said he he spoke and he said, my father knew Joseph Sedoni. I said, well, that's wonderful. You know. And he's shaking now at this point. And I realized he was choking up. He was crying. And I put my arm around him. I said, it's okay. Yeah, just take your time. And he told me that um, he lived um, just, just Sedoni, and we're all right on Lake Michigan here. So he lived, this gentleman with his family, a few places, houses down on Lake Michigan, uh, just near Joseph Sidoni, and his father apparently knew him, and that this fa- his family, the man, the gentleman told me, had, when he was a young boy, had a horrible thing happen. They lost their house and their property. There was some apparent title feud, and they lost. It went to the Michigan Supreme Court. Apparently, he told me, and you know, of course, they were devastated. The family, anyway, about. A week later, Joseph Sedoni appears at the door. 
And I don't know if that was the first time that's when he met this gentleman's father. It may have been. And he said, hi, you know, I heard about your, your loss. And basically what he said, you know, and the family are all sort of like just in mayhem here, you know, this is their family home. And he said, you know, but realize there are losses and losses in life. And he said um, that family who have now own your property, um, they will experience a worse loss soon. So just realize this is how life is sometimes. And two weeks later, the mother, the woman, actually, in, in the case of the family, uh, died. And so I think, you know, and, 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 and then he said, the old gentleman said, and then Sidoni went up to me and had a stone in his hand. He grabbed my hand and he said, you hold on to this and you focus on what you want to do and you will achieve it and looked him squarely in the eyes and and i think you know when you hear stories like that the, the, the humanity of this man and and uh is what it comes out very strong for me so i i feel uh, you know a kindred spirit in that way to him and i have a beautiful photograph uh, i don't know if you've seen it sean where he's sitting at a desk writing and there's it's like there's a, 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 a hedge there behind him or something like greenery and there's a beautiful crucifix oh, yeah. there. And, and mm -hmm. that's uh, my favorite image because I think he was very much uh, a very deeply compassionate man and one who wasn't in his high towers at the Valley of the Pines who took, it was a part of the community, served in various offices around the community so he was really, you know, a solid human being and a very compassionate one. So that's part of, you know, a, really a part of my connection to him too. And that's how, you know, um, that's how my faith and my belief has developed, you know, through that, through the compassion aspect of, 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 of uh, you know, of, of, of my own, you know, life and, of people that was always there even through my worst moments and and that's become more I've become more conscious of that now and Sidoni has reinforced that in me even more so that's been a beautiful development uh, you mentioned that there were uh, manuscripts and pamphlets and so forth scattered all around the area uh, other than gates of the mind uh, do you have a a favorite piece of writing by Sidoni? I have, well, I have a little, you know, he would self-publish, right, up there in the Valley of the Pines. He had a printing press. And um, he made, uh, I have several. He wrote for the Muskegon Chronicle, which is the city near here, in a newspaper. And I have several editions. He also published a, uh, a newsletter of, of such called the, uh, the Whisperer. And it was really him, you'd love to see this stuff, it's really him just talking about life and what was going on at the time, you know, it was the Second World War or whatever. And so those are very, I cherish those, but I also have a another original of, a, it's a little book called The Human Radio. And in that little book, and I was expecting him to elaborate on his, you know, scientific, like, efforts to try mm -hmm. and 
find a, a theory about, you know, what he was experiencing, which is what he was often trying to do. But what he does is he talks a bit about the theory and what he thinks is happening, but then goes in to talk about, and in detail, the list all the different premonitions he's had. And that is particularly uh, fascinating for me and my, one of my favorites because, um, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's trying to, I, I sense, you know, saying, look, this is real. <laughs> and of course, many of his premonitions in this area, of course, were, were validated by witnesses, you know, um, there's some quite striking ones. And so, but he, you sense, I think Joseph Sidoni, inevitably suffered a bit from isolation as not being a typical academic, so to speak. And thus, I think he was often trying to, you know, show people what he actually does and how he does it. And this is what this little book is about. And it, it's fascinating. It's one of my favorites to read, um, you know, because of, 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 of the different kinds of premonitions he would have and how he would warn people etc etc uh, from different things and 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 what happened then and and it's quite remarkable to read even even as small as it is yeah i used to uh, i probably came across gates of the mind uh, almost 25 years ago maybe and i i used to fantasize about someday i'll make a pilgrimage to the valley of the pines and and there i will find uh hidden in the file cabinets the answers which joseph sedoni alludes to seeking in gates of the mind can you disavow me of that fantasy now have you been to yes okay. i can <laughs> <laughs> it's time to move on. Yeah, you know, the the valley, this, this will maybe help you. The Valley of the Pines, unfortunately, has fallen into disrepair. Um, different reasons. It hasn't been really looked after. And one of the, again, this historical society here is trying to, um, you know, change that. And, uh, but yes, it's, but it's still standing and it was in its time, an amazing place. Uh, it was what he had built there, all with his own bare hands, I might add. Uh, an amazing place uh, where he printed, had his laboratory and would receive people from as far as Hollywood who'd come in for counselling or, you know, for, uh, to see him. So he, you know, and he's, there's, there's so many sides to this man. <laughs> he worked for President Roosevelt uh, in visiting Indian reservations. Um, it's, 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 he's just remarkable, a true maverick. So I don't, I'd, I'd love to think that there was some, you know, uh, sort of, <laughs> you know, cause this is the very point I, we were mentioning earlier that there's all these pieces strewn everywhere because he didn't write a series of books as such. And again, everything he did was self-published. So they unfortunately have been scattered around this area. And, you know, and this is what we're trying to do is to get these together to find some kind of, um, you know, order and, and um, direction in, in the different areas he would, would be researching. I found quite a, a lot of experiment, experimental evidence at the library in Muskegon 
uh, of equations and quite adept physics mapped out where he was trying to measure signals as thoughts, etc., going into that whole area of research. But again, they're, they're fragments, sadly, and we hope to bring them more together and, and so that, you know, maybe even publish something. Oh, that that's fascinating. I, I You're actually the first person who has ever uh, mentioned something like that, his, his actual lab notes, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, he worked up there and he had someone working with him, I believe, a chemist or something. And they were really, you know, <laughs> he was really trying to put it all together. And um, and so I'm, I'm, my plan is to go back to the library again um, soon and try to somehow catalog and get an idea of how to catalog what's there in the library and then bring that back to White Lake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I know uh, I know we're getting close to that hour mark. Uh, I I did want to ask you, perhaps as a bit of an aside, if there are. I happen to be a film buff. I love movies. Uh, are there any particular films that you feel are that touch upon these ideas or might uh, inspire someone to e- explore the intuition more? Gosh, um, I can't really. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, in intuition, I, I moved. I suppose the closest I can describe is films from certain films from certain directors who are purely visual. Mm-hmm. And I don't think necessarily. For example, for me, two thousand and one, a space odyssey, is a sort of a religious movie. And the visual aspects of it are just mesmerizing. They were when I first saw it as a boy, and they still are. Um, and Kubrick was an absolute visual animal. I mean, it was pure. So it's those kinds of things where the visual is so intense and I can forget any necessary plot or it doesn't really even matter at that moment. You just see this body floating out into space and the pure loneliness of void, and and et cetera, et cetera. But um, as in terms of intuition, no, not not films. I I I I my greatest. I mean, I love films. Um, I'm a big film fan, uh, especially the great days of Hollywood, uh, and the great uh, uh, directors, etc. Uh, but my films, what's what I love uh, in terms of like what we're talking about is um, films that show humanity and compassion and my my favorite one is an old film called random harvest with greer garson and uh, that is a film that just is so beautifully human and that shows that compassionate aspect of humanity uh, that i just love films like that they're just healing (laughs) and when you watch them they just make you feel you know really about what what we're about and what we should be about as human beings well but yeah, that's. A, yeah. Thank you for that. I I haven't heard of that. I appreciate that. Oh, Random Harvest. Oh, it's a beautiful movie. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Okay. And how about uh, other than Sidoni's uh, books and pamphlets? Uh, any books along these lines that you recommend? Well, I think in general, uh, I think one of the most beautiful books I've 
you know, I think I've read in, in this general aspect of what we're talking about. I mean, it's not directly about intuition, but of course it's <laughs> intuition weaves its way through the fabric of the book is Care of the Soul by Thomas More. Mm -hmm. That is a, have you heard of I that I have one? heard of it, but I have not read it. Oh boy, it's a beauty. I read it when I was younger as a young psychologist. In fact, when I first came to the United States and I thought it was good, <laughs> but I happened to pick it up about two, three years ago again and reread it. And it's absolutely a beautiful book. It is a truly wonderful work. So that is, you know, in terms of, um, and he has a, a Jungian perspective and Jung was an intuitive. And so this whole, what I was talking about about my trans, you know, my development as a psychologist is exactly what he's talking about really through that book. And it was just, uh, it's just a, a real treasure. Yeah. Care of the soul. Got it. Well, if, if people were interested in contacting you or finding more about, about you, where would they go? Uh, well, you can go to my, I have a website, which is more directed at autism, but my, all my information is on there and whatever talks I might be giving you. Um, and that's, um, richardhowlin.com. Got it. Okay. And I'll be sure I'll have a, uh, some notes from this podcast on my site. I'll be sure and link, uh, to your site as well from that. Sure. Well, uh. Not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Are there any last thoughts that you have uh, or recommendations that you would make to people who uh, who are curious about Sedoni and uh, and would like to explore this more? Well, I think um, is the um, again, unfortunately, it, it's so strewn, but I think uh, a good direction to go to find out more. There, you, there, there's a website, uh, and if they Google Joseph Sedoni, um, they will find this website, and it has a lot of the writings on the website. So that would be my first. I don't have the, um, the exact address, but if you Google Joseph Sedoni, uh, this website will come up. And it's done by the, apparently the family. It's kind of strange because it's, um, there's no identification of who it is who's writing the website, but it's very well done and it's got photographs and it's got, um, uh, and if you like, I could send you a link when I get but off. That'd be great. Yeah, no problem. That, that would be the best place to start. And then any other questions, you know, like about what we have it here at the White Lake Library to contact the White Lake Library and, and see what they have on file here. And, and maybe you can get um, copies of this and etc. But as I say, it's a work in progress there and we're building, we want to build this up and get some kind of catalogue so that we can sort of put together the pieces of this man, which is quite a challenge because the city was good at so many things. Um, brilliant mind, uh, absolutely brilliant mind. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and someone you have to realize who at a very early age had no use for school. <laughs> and he had this self-assuredness that was truly remarkable. He knew who he was. 
and he knew what he needed to learn and uh, never had any higher education. And yet he's he writes English beautifully, even though he was in, you know, in the German language for the first 10 years or so of his life, which is truly a remarkable achievement. And he's altogether an amazing man. I would love to sit down with him. That's one of my, you know, you have that dream of finding your book, Sean. Right. I have the dream of sitting down with a bottle of scotch, <laughs> and the first thing I do, I'd ask about his childhood. Right, right. What that must have been right. like, you know, to have your friends, your mates, you know, do that again, Joe. <laughs> How do you know that? I don't, I just know it. I don't know. Right. <laughs> That must have been absolutely amazing. <laughs> well, well, perhaps someday you'll have the experience like Sidoni had with his brother who had passed away, and you'll find yourself oh my walking out in nature yeah. somewhere, and Sidoni will be at your side. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I do feel, you know, I, I feel a sort of a, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of a, obligation here you know to do more of this and and also the the kind of importance of being respectful towards him um and uh and 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 just sort of trying to do the best job i can in 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 what i do with this and and i tell you the, the, the people are very very interested in this man and they should be well thank you richard i i appreciate all that you're doing to to help people learn about Sidoni and help keep his memory alive yeah well I, I'm so glad to be able to spend time with you thank you so much Sean thank you for listening to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery I'm your host Sean Nevins for more information about today's guest as well as more interviews books and other resources go to spiritualteachers.org that's spiritualteachers.org